0: Welcome to the Fern Podcast, as the season turns. Released on the first of the month, each episode will follow the changing landscape of the seasons, from the moon and the stars to the tides and the trees. I'm Leah Lander, author of The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide, and this podcast is a collaboration between myself and Fern, makers of small-batch organic perfume, who blend barrel-age and bottle four fragrances a year released at the equinoxes and solstices. I love wearing fern. In my quest to live in tune with the seasons, applying the season's perfume is a lovely little ritual that reminds me to use all my senses. To say thank you for following along, each month the first 20 listeners who sign up to the fern waiting list will receive a box of delicious organic fern tea with their first bottle. Search fern.co forward slash podcast tea or find the link in the podcast description to sign up. We hope that this brief guide to the month ahead will awaken you to the rhythms of the year and help you to settle deeper into the seasons. The Sunrise in March On the 1st of March, the sun rises at 7.11am in Inverness and at 7.04am in Padstow, Cornwall. Still earlier in the south, but this will change this month. By the beginning of next month, Inverness sunrise will be a whole ten minutes earlier than that at Padstow, part of the effect of the north's tilt swinging round towards the sun and sunshine spilling over it and lighting up the North Pole, the Arctic Circle and the north in general, creating our summer. This changing of the sunrise guard shows that it is on its way. At the beginning of March, dawn breaks onto days that are still shorter than nights. Winter still has us in its grip. But that too is about to change. The tipping point, of course, is the spring or vernal equinox. Equi means equal and nox means night. And we tend to think of it as bringing equal length days and nights. That would be true if we measured day length from the moment the centre of the sun rose above and sunk below the horizon. But as we measure it from the moment it shows and the moment it vanishes, the equinox day is actually a little longer than the equinox night. Equilux, when day and night are exactly the same length by our way of measuring it, actually occurs a few days before the spring equinox. The spring equinox is called Ostara by modern pagans and Wiccans, after the goddess Istra, who some believe Easter is named after, and who is associated with the east and dawn. We are now at the dawning of the year. The Pond in March. The frogs and toads started the party last month, but the rest of the pond. Plants, bugs, and all starts to come alive this month. The remnants of the night before are everywhere. Much of the surface is now covered in shiny clumps of frog spawn and strings of toad spawn. There is always way too much for all of the frogs to hatch, but nature will work itself out, and there is no need to move any of it. The vast numbers are insurance against frost and predation and many of the eggs will be eaten, providing sustenance for other creatures in the pond. Newts feast on the eggs, leaving the empty casings behind, ahead of their own egg-laying, always well behind the frogs and the toads. By the end of this month, those that have survived the first month will have hatched, and the masses of wriggling tadpoles will be feasting on the pond's algae and vegetation, clinging on and wiggling their tails. Frog tadpoles are slim and grey, flecked with gold, while toad tadpoles are chunkier and pure black. Dragonfly and damselfly nymphs will hunt and feast on the tadpoles. They have a lot of growing to do and will molt up to 17 times before they are fully grown. Juvenile backswimmers and water beetles eat tadpoles too. It's brutal, but all part of the great circle of life that is the garden pond. In the herbarium, the writer has been down to the sea. She rubs her salt-stained hands together, brushing sand onto the old oak table. She begins to examine the twisting sea shapes she has brought back with her.
1: Seaweed is not as beloved in Britain as it has been in the past. But our folklore can tell us much about our relationship with these luscious, delicious saltwater algae. In the Mabinogion, the earliest Welsh prose stories that recount many Celtic myths, a magician conjures a ship from seaweed. The poet Matthew Francis describes this moment. On the wet plain of sand below the shingle, we piled an oval of bladder rack, swathed it in mud-coloured kelp to form a ship's hull. Dulce and lava for the deck, the mast a spike of seagrass, flaunting a sea lettuce sail. For anyone familiar with the gorgeous hues of seaweed, the image of this ship is vivid. That deck of dulcen lava would be a pattern of black and deep red, with a bright green sea lettuce sail above, luminous in the wind. I'm an avid seaweed collector, nibbling as i wander amongst the rocks but there was a victorian craze for collecting seaweed to press and admire as with flowers this was an activity for women and for a while gave them the freedom of the lonely shore with bare ankles lapped by the tide much of the seaweed that appears in folktales accompanies a warning a spine-tingling tale told until recently in shetland describes a fisherman who is repeatedly visited in his dreams by a skeleton-like figure draped in seaweed. The vision warns him not to put out the third line when his boat next sails, lest he join him at the bottom of the sea. But there's a happy ending, when the fisherman is taken seriously by his crew and all escape a terrible storm. Seaweed used to be a vital source of food in many parts of Britain, in the Carmina Gedelica, a compendium of hymns and prayers whose title means simply Gaelic songs, there is a charm for an abundant crop of seaweed. It says, come and come is seaweed, come and come is red seaware, come is yellow weed, come is tangle, come is food which the wave enwraps. The rhythm is lovely, like lapping waves. But our English translation cannot do justice to the Gaelic in which there are dozens of words for seaweed with meanings like tufted, brittle or withered weed tangled, cast up or ribbon weed. Perhaps we can learn to love these nutritious beauties once again.
0: March's is Island, Innes or Bardzi Island. 52.76 degrees north, 4.79 degrees west, three kilometres west of the Llynne Peninsula, North Wales. Population four. At just one and a half miles long and half a mile wide, Innis Enllí, the island in the currents, is little more than a rock in the Irish Sea, a stone thrown out from the tip of Gwynedd but its stature does not reflect its significance. Once a centre of Christianity in Britain, it is still often called the Island of 20,000 Saints, who are believed to rest beneath its turf. The first abbey was built in the 6th century, it said, by the kings of Hlyn and St. Cadvan, and the idea soon bloomed that to die on Bardsey was to go straight to heaven a belief easy to understand when the sun shines high over the island's green turf and sparkling sea. In the medieval Catholic Church, three visits to Entli were counted the same as one to Rome. The island was even called the Rome of Britain in the 12th century Book of Hlandaf, where the 20,000 saints' statistic was first recorded. But even before the Christian pilgrims began to arrive, There were legends about Enhli. Welsh myth has long maintained that King Arthur was buried there, a story, it must be said, that is also told about several other islands in this series, or otherwise his magician Merlin, who is said to rest in a glass coffin in a cave on the island's mountain, actually a small hill. You can hear more about Merlin, Bardsey and a very special apple tree in our October 21 episode. On firmer ground, some of the island's archaeological sites have been dated to 7,500 BC, the depths of prehistory. Enhli is not only a historical site. It is maintained by its wardens as a living, working community, the only one of its kind in Wales. Though its four year-round inhabitants have no inside toilets, running water, Wi-Fi or central heating, and only recently gained power, drawn entirely from renewable sources. A haven for wildlife as well as for people. In March, the far-ranging Manx shearwater is returning to Endley from the South American summer. Look out for the black-and-white flash of its wings as it flips from side to side above the waves. The Diggers In the spring of 1649, England was in turmoil. Seven years before, a bitter civil war had broken out, and in January the English had killed their king. These were revolutionary times indeed. While the following decade of interregnum is usually seen as a bleak, puritanical span of years, there are more hopeful stories that are less often told. One such is that of a group that called themselves the True Levelers, and who are now best known as the Diggers. Gerard Winstanley was their leader, a radical thinker who believed that the earth should be a common treasury for all, without respect of persons. Reacting to the reformist spirit of the times, in the spring of 1649, Winstanley and his followers founded a revolutionary colony at St George's Hill in Surrey where they would work together to till the land for the mutual benefit of all, freed from the yokes of wage labour, hierarchy and the accelerating enclosure of England's common land. The diggers' ideas of equality and free access to the land were perceived as dangerous and transgressive, dangerous enough for local landowners to kick the diggers off St George's Hill after just four months. But though the diggers' utopia was short-lived, they still have much to teach us. Wynne Stanley wrote that true freedom lies where a man receives his nourishment and preservation, and that is in the use of the earth. Today, less than 10% of England's countryside is open for the public to enjoy, and much of that land is subject to a long list of prohibitions. How can we care for our soils and trees and rivers when we do not know them? How can we move towards a more sustainable future when only a privileged few can enjoy the benefits of nature. In searching to remedy these dilemmas, we may in turn receive that same nourishment and preservation that the diggers sought almost 400 years ago. Strumpshaw Fen, Norfolk, but not as we'd usually hear it. Alongside fellow sound artist Action Pyramid, Alice used hydrophones to record the fen's underwater landscape. Listen out for the cricket-like sounds of water boatmen and the bubbles of aquatic plants photosynthesizing, releasing oxygen into the water. You may also hear sounds from above the surface, a family in the distance and a few birds here and there. March's Perfume Ingredient This month, in Ferns Somerset Studio, the team are preparing for the official launch of Spring 23, their latest creation, which will be released on the Equinox. I'm wearing it now, in fact, enjoying its lightness and the soft, honeyed scent that belongs only to Spring. Narcissus. Narcissus Absolute is sweet and herbaceous, a little like honeyed jasmine, but there is a depth to it, with warm hay and a hint of tobacco rounding out the edges that makes this an unusual and rewarding floral to work with. A base note, it may take a few minutes to awaken, soft, polleny, and undeniably green. Narcissus is used in perfumery in three varieties, jonquil, tazetta and poeticus. Fern uses Narcissus poeticus, growing wild in central France and high in the Maritime Alps, the white flowers of this variety have a little frill of red around their trumpets. Cultivated in the flower farms around Grasse, perfumery's world capital, the scent is extracted at source using the traditional solvent method. To accompany the Spring 23 fragrance, Fern commissioned Wales's national poet, Hanan Issa, to write a few lines that would celebrate Narcissus and the joy of the spring equinox, known in Welsh as Alban Aelia, or Light of the Earth. Hanan's poem is called Returning. Instead, let those grey winter worries be healed by broom and deru. No lonely wanderings here, only Erwain-scented memories and daffodown-dilly-adventures beneath a stippled sky. Returning swallows whisper as they soar, We have missed you, Alban alia. Charm of the Month Four-leaf clover The association of four-leaf clovers with luck may have arisen from their relative scarcity. Only about one in five thousand clovers will have the extra leaf, so those with the extra one are a bit special and worth tucking into your pocket when you need luck on your side. It is said that you will only find one when you're not looking, though once you have, keep looking. The same plant is likely to produce more. They were carried by Welsh Celts as a charm against evil spirits, and there are records of them being used all over the British Isles. However, they are most associated with Ireland with St. Patrick, whose day falls on the 17th of March, because he is alleged to have taught the Irish the concept of the Holy Trinity using the three-leaved version. When they are not representing the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost, the three leaves represent faith, hope and love, with the exceptional fourth adding luck. It is said that there are more 4 leaf clovers in Ireland than there are in the rest of the British Isles. Thus accounting for the luck of the Irish. The Sunset. In March, the sunset edges back just late enough for an evening stroll. Now I can begin to explore the twilight again, that special time in which things take on new colours, a little dusting of magic. And if I'm lucky, I might hear the hoot of an owl in silent flight, out hunting or looking for a mate. Owls appear in many folktales, but one of my favourites comes from the fourth branch of the Mabinogion. This is the story of Blodeweth, whose name means flower-faced. Long ago, Hle Hlaugufes was cursed never to have an earthly wife. The magicians Math and Gwydion took pity on the young man, and set about making him a wife out of flowers. They gathered the flowers of oak and broom and meadowsweet, and from these they conjured up the fairest maiden that had ever been seen in those lands. They named her Blodeweth. One day, while Clay was out visiting Math, Blodeweth spied a hunter riding by. She invited him into the castle. He was Gronu Pebir. Lord of Penchlin, and it was love at first sight between them. Forced to leave her for fear of Clay's return, Gronu made Blodeweth promise to find out how Clay's death might be brought about, for that was the only way they could be together. The very next morning she sent word to Gronu, her lover, and he at once set to work. A year had passed, and Blodeweth said to Clay. Will you show me how you can be killed? I cannot seem to picture it in my head. He gave instruction, and a bath was built on the river bank with a thatched roof. A billy goat was brought, and Clay stood 1 foot on the goat and 1 on the side of the bath. "See," he said, "this is how I can be killed." Little did he know who was hiding in the bushes. Quick as a flash, Gronu sprang up with the poisoned spear and aimed it at Hle. It struck true. There came a loud shriek, and an eagle flew up from where Hle had been standing, leaving no trace. And Gronu and Blodeweth were free to do as they liked. But the story doesn't end there. Gwydion, the magician, went looking for Eagle Hle, and eventually found him perched in a tree. Singing, Gwydion called Clay to his knee and tapped him with his magic wand, and there was Clay. Once Clay had recovered, he and Gwydion mustered the fighters of Gwynedd and went to get revenge. Hearing of their approach, Blodaweth fled the castle, but Gwydion soon caught her. The magician cursed her. I will not kill you, I will do worse. I will set you free in the form of a bird and you will not dare to show your face in the day for fear of all the other birds who will hate you and strike you whenever they see you. And that is why the other birds hate the owl, and why the owl is still called Lodewe. This month's full moon falls on the 7th of March at 12.40. It's known as the plough moon, lenten moon or chaste moon. Full moons rise near sunset opposite the sun, so in the east as the sun sets in the west. The last quarter of the moon will fall on the 15th of March at 2.08am. The new moon will fall on the 21st of March at 5.23am pm The full moon falls on the 7th of March at 12:40 pm March's full moon is known as the plow moon, lenten moon, or chaste moon Full moons rise near sunset opposite the sun so in the east as the sun sets in the west The last quarter falls on the 15th of March at 2:08 am Last quarter moons rise around midnight and are at their highest point as the sun rises. The new moon falls on the 21st of March at 5.23pm. New moons rise at sunrise in the same part of the sky as the sun and so cannot be seen. The first quarter moon falls on the 29th of March at 3.32am. First quarter moons rise near noon and are at their highest point as the sun sets. A clear March day just ended. You are reveling in the new washed evening light when you wander past an inn, its door a little ajar. You push in with the breeze, hearing the sounds of music.
2: The song is called Lisalan, which means pure or... Um, beautiful Lisa, and it's a very old song that describes the heartbreaking beauty of the uh, girl in question and describes her to the dewdrops and the snowdrops, the little flowers that come up earlier in the year than most of the rest. But it's, it's a very old song, Lisa Lahn. <laughs> Låter gå det, låter gå det. Hanging lanterns of light glide to the island of the bee. To this end, point a at this end. Yn ein rhoi iawn gyda'r hŵr Fynghalon fach a dodd fel cwr Wrth glywed sŵn mân I'm going to go
0: Thank you for listening to this month's episode. A new episode is released on the first of each month. Please do like, subscribe and share. We love hearing your thoughts and how and when you like to listen. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also enjoy my book, The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to 2023, which this year is themed around the solar system and the signs of the zodiac. It's also available as an audio book, Read by me, Leah Laenderts. You can also follow along with the seasons with a membership to Fern's Organic Fragrances. One bottle of each season's fragrance is made to order for the names on the Fern Production Ledger. Though the ledger is currently full, you can join the waiting list by visiting fern.co, linked in the podcast description. Each bottle is sent with a sample vial allowing you to try the fragrance before deciding whether or not to keep the main bottle. If it's not quite right for you, the bottle can be returned free of charge for a full refund, and you can always skip a season if you need a little break. The ledger allows Fern to plan ahead, reducing waste and creating space to focus on creative projects, such as this podcast. The podcast is produced by Jeff Bird. Catriona Bolt is the researcher, working in-house as part of the Fern Studio team. In addition to my own contributions, Zoe Gilbert, author of Mischief Acts, wrote and read The Herbarium. Alice Boyd is the composer and sound recordist who is travelling the UK through the year to make field recordings for each month's found sounds. And the folk song and introduction were played by a Welsh musician... Willem Bowen Rees.